You're listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick. I'm Scott. And I'm Hamish. And today, Hamish is going to talk about brand structure. Apparently, there's three types of brand structure and uh, something I was never aware of, but Hamish is going to tell us all about it and explain to us what they are. Take yes, it away, Hamish. It's all, all secret branding business. No, no, Scott. Oh, thank, thanks for that. Uh, in order for people to understand how brands work and how they might work with their invention and building companies, I've broken it down into an easy to, more easy to understand uh, way of looking at the world in terms of marketing. And that is with the three brand structures, one is relatable, one is aspirational, and the other is functional. Now to go back a step, relatable brands are things like Woolworths and Coles. So these are brands that, when I say relatable, they're not trying to, they're more, more or less a peer to, to the marketplace. They're not trying to be something that they're not. They're not trying to scare people off. They're not also trying to undersell their message. So you're talking about price points which are, they don't really bat an eyelid in, in, that, in that sense. I know this is all broadly speaking. You're talking about the customer doesn't bat an eyelid when they're buying from more or Coles. They don't, they don't, they've got an understanding that they're, they're going to get good value from yeah. that brand. Yeah, it's, it's almost what you'd call, and it's probably not the, the right way to, to describe it, but bread and, uh, bread and butter companies. So you've got companies that there's consumer based general consumers so you're not trying to be something that you're not you're not trying to present an image which is again the next which we'll talk about next is aspirational that's a different kettle of fish altogether so relatable brands you, you set yourself up because you just want people to accept it on their own level they're very much talking to consumers as as peers so they're not trying to convey a higher price point, not trying to convince someone to buy in at a higher price, and they're also not trying to convince you that it's a lower price. So you've got brands which are you know, functional, which we'll get into later, which are almost cut price. Yeah. So relatable so brands- cons- Consumer level pricing, is yeah. that what you say there? Uh, well, it's all dependent on the market, yeah. but, but relatable brands, the target market, you're not trying to convince them otherwise that this is something that you need and you have to pay a higher price sure, for. Sure. It's almost like, well, commoditized, yep, you know, yep. com- commodities. Commod- yep. So that, that's price, another way. Price-based yes. marketing. Well, it's all price-based, but when I'm talking about relatable brands though, you're, you're not trying to scare people off. So you've got, you're selling commoditized products and the messaging and the marketing that comes along with that does its level best so, so to almost every ident- so consumers identify very easily with the offering. And that comes down to when you walk through the door, like Woolies and Coles, you're not walking into somewhere and going, oh my God, wow. You're just going, this is comfortable, this is fine, it's clean, there's no smell. Yeah. It, it's not, it's not the, the decor is neither cheap yeah. or expensive. So chain stores, basically. So you've got Bunnings, BCF, all the, all the sort of companies that are really trying to... More or less. Yeah, get consumers. Yes, yes. So Sell more. Yeah, but the the point I'm making here when we're talking about entrepreneurs is if you're going after a general market and the invention that you've got or the problem that you're solving is not necessarily going to be positioned as something which is going to be high price, high value, uh, exclusive, well then you have to work on being relatable. So everything that you do in your marketing, your messaging, you need to be uh, on, you need to come across as a peer to the customer. Hmm. The next uh, type of brand structure is aspirational. Now, any you think of any luxury goods, uh, expensive cars. You're talking about things like Bentley, uh, Tom Ford. You know, even things like Rolex. I was looking at some ads. Uh, managed to bump into some ads on Instagram the other day for Rolex. And again, the way they market, it's all what I'd say mythology driven. So they're still products. I mean, a Bentley will get you from A to B, no problem. But 
Is it relatable to the general market? No, they can't be. You cannot sell a car for half a million plus. It's not a relatable product. It is an aspirational product, uh, and you rely on your marketing creating a lot of mythology and a lot of, not I wouldn't say misunderstanding, but certainly people look at those vehicles and luxury brands and think, oh, wow, I wonder what that's like. And the people that buy them, buy them for that reason because they know that what they're buying is is aspirational for a lot of people. Yeah. And that's the value of the branding the that goes into those products. And the perceived value of that product. Yes, and that's the only way you can really have a very high pricing above average. I mean, it's not like the, like the Hyundai, the Toyotas, and all those sorts of things. They're relatable products. You're yeah. not people that buy those are not necessarily image, uh, image conscious. Uh, obviously, it's budget driven. I mean, a lot of people might not, you know, might prefer the Bentley. Um, wouldn't we all? But the, the problem is, you need to have a product which is still comes in as a peer. It's a peer-related product, Toyota, Hyundai, all that, like Kia, they're all designed to fit a particular price point. They're not trying to be something they're not. Uh, the Bentley, the Rolls-Royce, the, even the Mercedes, I mean, they're all aspirational products and they everything they do, the way they talk, the marketing, it's got nothing to do with A to B. It's got nothing it's to do with how much... Style. It's not It's not how big the boot is, it's how much effort has been, has gone into with things like the, you know, like we've spoken about this before, how I mean the, the the effort they put into how the glove box opens and shuts and we're back to the binocular grease all those sorts of things well yes. that's the sort of thing you've got to talk uh, the look at the seats all of that <laughs> all, all of that, that. you know Every it's, it's, and even down to the way they would market they they actually sometimes I know Rolls Royce does it they'll they'll focus on one of the craftsmen that mm. you know puts one of the you know the pinstriping by hand down the side of each car yep. that comes out of the yep. factory all that all that relates to the mythology of these brands. Uh, obviously, you know it's really funny because you talk to people that service these cars, work with those sorts of cars. I mean, they just they have just the same number of problems as normal cars, and they become a pain in the ass sometimes. But still, the mythology exists, and that's what makes them. That's what enables those companies to sell them at such a high price. I mean, I know some people have have cars, and it's a status symbol to be able to own them because it's so expensive to maintain them. <laughs> well, there you go. But that's but that's also part of that. I can afford to maintain this vehicle. Well, again, yeah. yeah. So that's but but coming back to it, I mean, we're not just analysing brands that already exist and saying, well, hey, that's what we'll call an aspirational brand. It's about as an entrepreneur, if you're going to set up a, a company and then design a product in such a way, you've got to choose where you sit in terms of your positioning. So it all comes back then to how you're going to market. You know, the sort of message that you need to manage. So if you're relatable, you've got to think about how that works. If you want to be aspirational, as in the price point you want to charge for your product yeah. is a lot higher than what uh, your competitors, I mean, everyone's got competitors, uh, even if it's a unique product, we'll go into that in a later podcast, but you've still got to go, okay, how is that going to work? Yeah. How do we build mythology, for instance, into yeah. our marketing? It's not hard to do. It's just a matter of if you've got to decide to do it or not. And from a product perspective, you'll be incorporating details in that product design mm. that aim towards that market mm. so you'll be going to the extra effort different materials mm. different process yeah you know probably more components yep that are un- unnecessary but add to the well it's the fu- user function in yeah ways I mean, that you know that, that normally you wouldn't be able to afford in the consumer market yeah yeah and it's, it's interesting you know i'll talk about you know rolex again it's just i found some ads on instagram i bumped into and it was just interesting to watch these ads and when you get down to it, I mean, it's just a watch. I mean, it's a well-made watch, but what they were pushing, the message was the people, the celebrities that they'd chosen to talk about their Rolex and how they 
you know, it's, it, it, it was kind of a bit funny. You know, it, it was a bit sort of kitsch in the end because they were talking about how the watch is the one constant in their life and they've got these amazing jobs. They're talking to movie directors and, uh, you know, it's all, they're always on time and it's, it, it never fails them. And you think, well, hang on a minute. That's all they're doing there, and it's clever. They're just building up the mythology. It's got nothing to do about telling the time. I mean, a, a digital watch is going to tell the time better than a Rolex because it's, it's digital. It's, it, there's no moving parts. You don't have to wind it up, but you can't sell a Casio for what they sell a yeah. Rolex for. And yeah, obviously, they're even yeah. more expensive brands than that. So it's, but again, it's all just coming down to uh, how you need to price, the market image you need to build up. So again, you're looking at those brands, it's how they talk about themselves, how they talk about the product, who they align with. And we should really move on to the next uh, structure, which is functional, functional brands. There's a lot of good functional brands out there, and they're set up as such. I mean, one of the ones that I've observed over the last few years is, is Costco. Costco is a, a perfect example of a functional brand. I mean, it's it's not just about price. I mean, they're obviously a, a, an organisation which is uh, their main attraction for the market is pricing, so obviously buying bulk, but everything that they do and say all conforms to functionality. I mean, it's interesting when you talk to people at work in there, for instance, I remember, the, when, I remember going to the one at North Lakes here in Brisbane, or north of Brisbane, I should say, and they were selling this enormous spa bath. Like it, it would, you'd have to cart it out of the Costco showroom on the back of a semi-trailer almost. And I asked someone, I said, "What happens if I want to buy that?" I mean, it's you know, eighteen. My calendar was about twenty thousand dollars, so it was pretty cheap considering the size of this thing. It was like a uh, half the size of an Olympic swimming pool, really. It was. Oh, it wasn't that big, but but they said, "Oh, look, you know, the way we work, you want it, you buy it, you take it out of here." And so I thought that's funny, you know, and because they sell, they're actually selling a, a, a boat on the back of a trailer, so obviously that's a bit easier to take away. But their model, the business model, is also reflected in their branding, the way they, they speak, is they're not going to help you get that out of the shop. You want, you want that, it's significantly cheaper than anywhere else, you take it away. So and you walk into that place, it's just a, it's, it's air conditioned, that's all you get, but it's just pallets on the ground. Mm. And all they do is put a pallet on the shelf, unwrap it, you have to buy 50 of them because that's the price point that they can afford to sell it to you at for, for less, so they make a profit. So uh, it's all purely about functionality. And also the way they work in terms of checkouts and things like that, it's all uh, hugely managed and they get you out of the shop as quickly as possible. Uh, they, they check everyone, you know, security-wise at at when, when you're exiting. So they check your receipt, make sure everything, you know, adds up. And it's kind of a bit, you know, if you're used to, it's almost like they're, they're, you're proven guilty until you've, <laughs> proved, you know, in, until they check what's in your trolley. But again, people don't mind because it's a functional brand. Everything, they don't do that at Woolworths. They don't, there's no one that checks you as you go out the, the last door into the car park. It's mm. not that sort of brand. It's a, that's a relatable brand. So... You know, that's uh, the extra security is not something that you'd you'd really be wanting to come across. But certainly, yeah, Costco, and there's yeah. obviously a thousand other examples, but that's just one that it's really good information. I mean, mm. you know, if you can pick one of those areas in the initial before you start design, you'd be far better off because you'd be aiming. You when we we try and pick the market, I didn't know what the names were, but we always try and pick a market for mm. where we're going to aim the product then because yeah. we know that's going to come to the design. Yeah. And if you can find out, you know, name those, name those areas, it's great. You can mm. you put a name to it and we can aim, aim towards it. Yeah. It's, it's good information. Well, I suppose we go back to the old days. I mean, it's, you don't really see it that often, but I remember when Woolies and Coles had their own like things like black and white, yep. uh, or black and gold, I should say, and savings brand. 
and just or home brand, uh, they were functional. They were just yeah. purely functional products. They were cheap. The quality of the product was reflected in the, the packaging sometimes, but you know you see Woolworths is now moving has moved away from that. They've got their own brand and it's it's, it's, it's very well point. camouflaged. But that's because the market's changed. Uh, they they've now brought it back to the fact that the people that come through the doors want something which is relatable. If they want something that's functional, they will go somewhere else. Because even I mean Aldi is sort of verging on it's more relatable and functional so it's not like you have to choose one or two I mean you can choose anywhere in between these I mean obviously you couldn't have aspirational and functional as much but certainly relatable and functional that's where Aldi sits on that scale mm. so there is a particular price point that you expect it is nice and clean again but there's more branding that goes on with their home products I mean, let's face it they're all Aldi products that are on their shelves it's not they're not selling anyone else well very few products that they sell um, are established uh, external brands are all home brand hmm. so yeah it's interesting and I think it's just uh, for, for entrepreneurs and people starting the design process you've just got to at least think about these three types of structures and where you might sit positioning wise because it'll make your life a lot easier as you move forward is it possible for a company to start as a as a relatable product brand and then move into an aspirational product brand or, or backwards uh, or is it just all of a sudden impossible to, to shift that niche well, if you're talking about individual products, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have thought. I, I can't off the top of my top of my head think of any products that that product that's gone from. Well, no, actually, no, that's not true. Well, the home brand thing's a little bit the same. I mean, some of the product was the same, just packaged differently. I know the alcohol industry is very much like that. Whereas, I mean, everything, everything that's alcoholic, you know, spirits-wise, is basically ethanol with a different boutique in it, <laughs> and, and the packaging is what differentiates it, and the story, the mythology that goes with it. You know, the, the 50 years sitting in a barrel, you know, all that sort of business comes into it hugely with alcohol. So I guess, well, I guess, no, I guess I one product, is, which is almost the same with a different botanic, and it might be aimed at lower market, and then one might be aimed at higher market. Well, uh, a lot of that's governed by market trends. What you've just uh, described is how markets can shift with, with changing trends. I mean, it's a bit like the, uh, well, for a number of reasons it's happened, but in Australia there's a huge gin market because whiskey became a big deal like you were just talking about before you know you've got ethanol that sits in barrels you, you, if, you st if you leave it in the barrel for 20 years it's worth a lot more than it was just sitting there for five years and eight years so but what's happened in australia with the, the reason we've got so many gin brands when you walk into a bottle shop is because so many people have started distilleries to make whiskey because there's a huge demand for whiskey however how do you make money in the meantime you make gin because that's almost instantaneous yeah. if you once you produce the alcohol you really just got to flavor it it's obviously a lot more to it than that but all of a sudden gins have become flavor of the month so the shifting the shift in trends you've gone from things like your beef eaters and your london dry gins which were really let's just say they're sold between 25 and 30 dollars a bottle you're now getting gins on the market which are selling between 80 and sometimes 100 180 dollars a bottle i think in some instances because they the way they branded it because of the change, the shift in the trend, mm. uh, they've become aspirational. Uh, they haven't gone from being relatable or functional to aspirational in that sense, but just the market itself has seen that particular product type as as being an aspirational thing. So that that's where products can go from being one to the other is really from market pressure and market change. So I, from what, what I take out of this is that people are buying a story Mm -hmm. rather than a product generally? Uh, 
Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose if you're looking at, I mean, every, that's the thing. Each of these brand structures. Is that marketing in a nutshell? Well, it is it's marketing in a nutshell, but I, th- I suppose what you've just said, yes. I mean, every one of these different types of brand structures, I mean, don't think for a second that if you're functional or you need to be functional, you don't have to have a story because that sounds like it's a bit fancy. It just happens to be that your story is is told every time you've got an opportunity to tell that story and the story could be a sign, the story could be the way your staff interact with customers, that story has to reflect. How's that reflecting functionality more so than every, anything else? Because that reflects your price Completely point. Completely obvious. You walk into a big big barn stop type supermarket mm. store with very limited air conditioning, you know what what's going to be inside it. You know, you know what you're there for. Uh, yeah, and that's the thing too, Good is that, that a lot of these, some of these organisations, I have to admit, their brand is the result of organic growth. No one has really sat down and gone, well, this is our story, this is how we manage it. Very few companies have done that uh, you know, from day one. It's just that they end up starting on a good idea. And a lot, a lot of the products you deal with, Scott, you know, the, the market will speak. You've always said that, you know, the market will speak. The market will give you feedback as you go. So you still got to get it on the shelf. But if you can capture where you need to be before you start that process, you've got a much better chance of not wasting money. Yeah. And you've got to, and using that, as Michelle was saying a few weeks ago, uh, the scattergun approach. If you don't really know where you sit on in, on the scale of any of these brand structures, then you're just oh, guessing. Guessing, a bit deadly. You know, and it's like one of the products that we're both familiar with in this room that, uh, you know, they, they've used the scattergun approach. Great product, but all of a sudden they've found 50 markets for it. They should have just stuck to the two or three. So you, you're jumping around too much. You can't do that because if you want to become successful financially, you have to go, right, this is where we're at. You know, you, don't, you will never see Mercedes and Bentley and Rolls-Royce and all those other fancy brands going, well, they do. They, have, they design products specifically for different market segments, but they will never reduce the price of their top-end products just to sell more. That's not how that works. That, that, that goes against the mythology. That goes against the entire image and they just, they'd eat themselves. Yeah. Going back to cars as well, I think it's interesting to see the the story around the Mini. You know, I mean, BMW bought the Mini brand, and you, and same with the Beetle, the you know, Volkswagen Beetle. I mean, the Volkswagen Beetle started as a commodity product mm. back in the day in the thirties and forties. Volkswagen, or people's car. Mm. But it's just funny nowadays. Well, the I don't know if they still produce them, but they're not you'd call an everyday car in terms of the pricing. They're, they're, these aren't cars that are being sold for thirteen, fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars dollars $15,000. They're three times or well, twice that at least. Mm. So they become an aspirational product because of the image that's preceded where they're at now. So that's the other, that's the other, that's the only way you can really swap from one category to the next is that that's just through market pressure and, and managing image. Same with the Mini. I mean, the, the, the Mini, the vehicles now are, are very expensive in terms of where yeah. they, they used to and, sit. And they look entirely different. Like they're, well, they're, they're massive. Fit, they're fitted out. Yeah. They're beautiful leather. They're mm. pointed. The quality is impre- in, in, incredibly different to what mm. the original Minis were, which were yeah. you know, very basic. Yes. Same with the Volkswagen. Yeah. Metal, yeah. metal dash and all the rest of it. You don't mm. see any of that anymore. You might see reflections of it mm. to, to, to try and tie the character back in. But it's, yeah. a, it's a totally different beast. Mm. But the new minis, really, in that sense, these days are you really the, the only manufacturers that are doing them. Are, you know, Hyundai, Kia, Toyota, maybe, uh, because they're just getting the price well down, uh, and their brand reflects that. So mm. yeah, no, nice. Well, good information there. I hope everyone's got a bit of that out of that. I certainly have learned a bit. Nice, thank you very much, Hamish. Thank you. That's all. You've been listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick.